Mac Jones is ripped. Matt Patricia is calling plays. The Celtics are title favorites. And The Ringer has a new Boston show. I'm Brian Barrett, host of Off the Pike, the show covering all things Boston sports. I'll have shows multiple times a week covering your favorite teams and with your favorite Ringer and local guests. Plus, maybe Bill will stop by to rant about the Sox. Follow Off the Pike with me, Brian Barrett, now on Spotify. It's the Ringer Gambling Show presented by FanDuel. The second half of the NBA season is here and you can bet on all of the action with an assist from FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub. Filter by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays all on one page. Plus, start betting on the Explore page and the Pulse and bet live same-game parlays for every. NBA game. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gambling. Please visit theringer.com slash RG to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen at the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 and up in president-select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit theringer.com slash RG. There's a lot that could impress you about the all-new Honda Prologue EV. True, it's got class-leading passenger space and clean, thoughtful design and intuitive technology. But what really sets the Prologue apart from the competition is that it's more than an EV. It's a Honda. Honda, the power of dreams. Visit honda.com slash prologue to learn more. the ringer gambling show we've got joe house and myself we're going to break down the upcoming slate of week five's action but house we'd be remiss not to dote on for a second that disgusting affair that we witnessed last night i cannot believe somebody purchased these games for 11 billion dollars over the next 11 years to actually televise this crap to us uh i think later in the season there are going to be a few entertaining matchups but Boy, oh boy, this week, next Thursday is going to be the Commanders versus the Bears. I mean, Woo! I'm sorry to hear, sorry to say the C <laughs> words, but uh, that, that was a wild shit show last night. I mean, I have not seen a game that unfolded quite like that in several years. What did you think of that one? Well, you know, I'm a glass half full kind of guy. So <laughs> I, I loved every minute of it. And the reason I loved it is because you and really the entire like NFL community, when a game is that bad with that little action and, and that level of incompetence, the Twitter thread is so delightful, <laughs> so rich, so wonderful you you had some bangers last night. I mean, you came out of the box with, if you think this one's bad, wait till you see next week, Bears and, and Commanders. Oh, my God. I mean, the C-words. Like, that one got, you know, 38,000 likes. And then you you put up the, uh, the the price of all this stuff. The Broncos paid $245 million to Russell Wilson. And then some rich uh, group bought the Broncos for $4.65 billion. And then uh, Bezos and Amazon's paying eleven billion, and this is the game that we get, and we're all in it together. Yeah, I mean, look, we're all contributing to this, right? Like that's kind of point of this. We're all complicit in the fact that this type of stuff is being broadcast because we still watch it, and if we turned that game off 
right? And we said, no more of this. We're boycotting football that's like this. Just like the Broncos fans left the building. <laughs> they walked awesome. out before overtime. I mean, that was awesome. absolutely hilarious. You know, you can't, I, I get it. it th- there's work the next day, I guess. But like, if you're paying all that money to go to a game, and you're and you're you're already like devoted yourself to it. I don't know what time you had to leave your house to get there. You're wearing your gear. You ate some food like surrounding the game. You bought stuff at the stadium. Like you're in this thing, and you're just like this quality of football is so bad. And I don't even want to see how this game ends. Like I've just got to leave, even though it's going to overtime, which literally means like you you almost have a 50-50 chance based on a coin flip or you know what happens in a co- the next couple of minutes. Like the game will be decided and you don't even care at that point. You've just like given up on life at that point. You don't care what happens. <laughs> You're just like, I just wasted yeah, my whole life. I gotta night. go home. I just I gotta, gotta get, get out of here. I gotta like, that, get home. That, that shows you how bad the quality of that football was and and you know, Matt Ryan has not been performing like I expected him to. I guess this speaks a little bit to the fact that when you can go out and get a quarterback from another team, like a supposed quote unquote franchise quarterback who's been given like the max contract from this team in the past, and you can just get him for like a third round pick, it's probably not worth it. Like if somebody's willing to give you that, then, you know, there's probably (laughs) something that's going on underneath the surface there that's not worth it. But uh, Russell Wilson... We call that a Snyder around here. That's what Washington does. <laughs> yeah, we, oh, yeah. Donovan McNabb, uh, you know, if, if he's over the Jeff George at the beginning of the, that guy's tenure, I'm talking that, about that, Snyder. The, that team, when Snyder bought it and then like started to build his little version of the dream team, uh, was absolutely hilarious. Like, I can't imagine if Twitter was around at that time when he's signing all these guys and bringing everybody in and giving them money for like a one, two year deal. And then as terrible as they performed, but uh, yeah. And here I, we I are 25 years Russell later. Wilson is doing. We're, yeah. we're here 25 years later and, and Russ seems completely broken. Yeah, so what's going on? What are we, let's talk some football. What's going on with Russell Wilson? Everything, everything. Yeah. I mean, it, it feels like he's, so one of the things was he's not mo- as mobile. He's not moving around quite as well, but it, it, it's like everything, everything. His mechanics don't look the same. Uh, the way that he's getting the ball out, the way that he's reading defenses. Um, th- here's a funny comment. Like Pete Carroll earlier this season made the comment that we need to start giving more to Gino because he's actually trusting the offense and doing what we ask him to do. And it shows when you look at Gino Smith in terms of in rhythm throw percentage, the rate of throws that he makes in the rhythm of the offense. He's fifth highest in the NFL. In this very same offense last year, Shane Waldron was still calling it. This was Russell Wilson's offense last year. Same offense, same players, basically. Russ ranked 34th out of 42 quarterbacks in terms of percentage of his throws that are made in rhythm. Like, it's just it's just different. Geno is hitting the guys that are supposed to be hit when they're supposed to be hit. He's making his progressions the right way. And Russ just isn't seeing things the same way. And I mean, you have guys that played with Russ, that shed blood with Russ, sweat and tears with Russ that really don't like him. Like, and I know the guy could be viewed as corny and like that should not elicit that level of disgust with a player. Like everybody is different. Everybody's got their different 
quirks and personalities and things of that nature. I don't think any of these guys would be like that upset and willing to take shots at Russ just because he's a little bit of a weirdo or a right. little bit of a different guy. They're taking these shots because of the way that he was playing the game was they felt probably was holding them back. And clearly Richard Sherman coming out afterwards, he felt like Russ cost him that Super Bowl. Like Russ yeah. cost him that ring. Yep. That Russ cost him that ability to like become a dynasty potentially. Uh, and like he still has PTSD big time as a result of that. Like that is a wound that has never healed over. And, uh, and, and so clearly like these guys who've played with Russ feel like, feel that way. Um, and so there, there, there's obviously something going on there with Russ. And now we're seeing like, it wasn't just Pete. It wasn't just this offense. There was something there with Russ himself. Yeah, that's exactly right. And the, the Sherman thing was really like the most poignant moment of the entire evening. You had to wait for the game to get over. You had to sit through the overtime and then, and then, you know, uh, Catch Richard in in what really felt like um, a moment of honesty, true true honesty with with his on emotions. The couch. Oh, literally on the couch, the poor guy. You said it; he was nearly uh, uh, brought to tears. Um, well, we will look for opportunities uh, to turn that uh, frown frowny face with the Broncos upside down and make it smiley face at least as far as bets go. I put the Broncos on my do not bet list uh, after week. Two, um, and I'm gonna keep them there. I mean, I'm not gonna ever be in a position. I change. I went against that rule immediately last week with a big teaser leg, eight and a half points. Um, I had them against the Raiders, and they bungled their way to lose by exactly nine. Um, so that that that's enough for me. I'm I'm staying away. They are a stay away uh, unless there's some opportunity to go against them, um, and then then we'll we'll bang them away. But uh, how about that game last night as the proper metaphor for this upcoming week five slate, which just really feels like, um, you know, not very much in the way of marquee matchups, not very much in the way of real impactful divisional games, except for the one marquee game that is also impactful on the division, which is Cincinnati going up against Baltimore. Um, I will quickly hit on a couple of the trends from uh, week four, just because that's what we do before we kind of jump into the games. And, and only a couple things worth noting. Um, the the uh, underdogs this season continue to uh, outperform. They've been doing very well. There is a little bit of a, a trend coming in to this portion of the season that I like. The Action Network dudes pointed this out. Underdogs in games um, with uh, small totals are um, really good through the first eight weeks of the season, 49, 26, and one against the spread. There are two games like that this week. The Panthers getting six and a half home against the 49ers. That's a 38 and a half point total. And the Giants against the Packers, Giants getting eight. That's a 41 and a half point total. So two that fit that. We're always keeping an eye out for those uh, short dogs, underdogs off a straight up loss. When the line is six points or fewer, that trend continues to hold. It's 11 and six on the season. We have we had four of those games on the slate. The Colts was one of those games, uh, getting three and a half last night. They 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 covered the other three games on here. You're going to have to hold your nose. It's the uh, the C words getting two and a half at home against Tennessee. It's the Browns getting two and a half at home against the Chargers and the Lions plus three and a half at New England. Uh, I will have to reserve judgment on which, if any of those, I'm going to fire on. Probably none. 
Uh, speaking of firing, very happy last week to ride Dallas for two straight weeks. Dallas handled their business here in, in, in Prince George's County, Maryland. Uh, continued to humiliate the C-Words offensive line. And Dallas, all of a sudden now, we I have their game on this here. I don't know if we really can live in a world where Jerry Jones is walking around in permanent Cialis mode, Sharpie. I mean, he's got an erection. It's lasted more than four hours. He's just so pleased with himself and with, with Cooper Rush. Uh, we'll get to that game in a second. <laughs> But let's talk about this Baltimore-Cincinnati game. And curiously, as of this morning when I was on FanDuel, um, I've seen the number move between three and three and a half. I'm seeing it at three and a half. Baltimore by three and a half at home against Cincy. We have to wait till Sunday night for this um, really interesting matchup. And there's a bunch of storylines. You know, uh, the Bengals beat the hell out of, of the Ravens last season. The Ravens could easily be 4-0 this season, but for you know, two fourth quarter collapses to two very good teams, it seems. Uh, you know, Lamar's carrying an outsized load. Um, you know, the Bengals, have they really righted the ship? They can't run the ball at all. They're 31st in yards per attempt. Is this a bounce back spot for the Ravens? Like all those kinds of storylines. I know you and, and Brother Austin hit on this on the Wednesday show. How are you sizing this up for handicapping purposes? Well, you know, normally I'm looking at offense first, and that is a fun way to look at things. Uh, but I'm going to focus a little bit on the defenses here just because I think that's really both of these quarterbacks are so good, like so talented that it's incumbent upon the defenses to figure out a strategy to utilize to slow these guys down. And these are quarterbacks that these guys are these defensive coordinators are thinking about all night, all day, figuring out how to game plan against them. And Lamar Jackson, one of the biggest things, obvious things, because if you bet on the games, you know this is happening. Like they are up in the first half and then they start giving up that lead in the second half. And this continues to happen routinely. Part of it is Lamar Jackson's performance in the second half is nowhere close to what it is in the first half. In the first half, when he's passing the football, plus 0.22 EPA per attempt, that's minus 0.16 in the second half. He's got a 50% success rate in the first half. That's down to 39% success in the second half. Why could this be happening? Well, defenses could make adjustments, how they were playing him, what they were giving up. Some of it is coaching on offense, though, for me, at least as I'm watching this. And I'm looking at Greg Roman, and I'm looking at the way that he is putting so much on Lamar Jackson's plate. He's making Lamar win these games, I don't want to say by himself, but... He's not giving Lamar breaks. He's not giving Lamar time off. Like all these other quarterbacks, like I always look at Andy Reid. How is Andy Reid coaching Patrick Mahomes? Well, they call so much short stuff, layup type throws that that then can that they're designed so well that then they have high upside after the catch. Uh, Kyle Shanahan does that too with his quarterbacks, though they're not nearly as talented. Uh, you look at the run game and how KC sometimes designs some runs that are plus EV for their backs. These are plays that quarterbacks can like mentally take a break and physically take a break. They know that they're not going to fall behind the sticks. So much of what the Ravens offense is right now is if they hand the ball off to the running back, more than likely you're going to be behind the sticks. You're not, it's not a plus EV play. The backs and the offensive line just isn't creating the efficiency to keep you ahead of the sticks. And so then Lamar just has to catch up there and try to overdo what the offense previously did without him being involved. 
these pass plays, most of them are down the field. He's having to scramble in the pocket. He's having to buy time. He's having to make great reads and throw accurate passes. And so every single rep he's taking on offense requires him to be physically, uh, mentally, and you know, from an arm, arm talent perspective, on point in all three of those realms. He can't be off. And so it's just, I don't know, it's just a lot of pressure, a lot of stress, a lot of effort. And then eventually it wears on you and, and it has to, and you're not quite as efficient. You're not quite as energetic. You're not quite as everything in that fourth quarter. Um, and maybe that's some of what we're seeing here. I wish they had made the offense a little bit better, but my concern for this particular matchup house is Lou Anarumo, the defense coordinator yeah. for the Cincinnati Bengals. We talked about this last year. Yeah. The dude is nails in the third quarter with his halftime adjustments. And listen to this. The last 16 games, that's almost a full season, the last 16 games that he has called defense for this team, look at the point totals that they have surrendered to opposing offenses in the third quarter. I'll list them off. Zero, 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 three, seven, zero, 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 ten, zero, three, that was a Super Bowl, Zero, zero, three, three. I mean, they're just not giving up points in that third quarter. Their halftime adjustments are brilliant. And we already know this is a weakness for the Ravens offense. So that's going to be really interesting. If you like the Ravens here, my opinion, you better be betting them in the first half of this game. And the halftime adjustments are going to come. And if you like the Bengals, you bet them full game or you bet them in the second half at halftime. Um, on the other side of the ball, like, I am excited to see what Mike McDaniel does to try to defend and slow down the Cincinnati Bengals offense because we even saw it last week on that Thursday night football game against the Dolphins. The few snaps that Miami played with too high shell coverage, they slowed down this offense completely. Jamar Chase wasn't breaking off any run, any long passes. T. Higgins wasn't there. Like They slowed down Joe Burrow. But most of the game, they weren't playing that style and they gave up bigger passes in the passing game. The Ravens actually play, like the Dolphins don't play too high shells. The Ravens play them at about a league average rate. But we saw a team like the Pittsburgh Steelers or the Dallas Cowboys jack up their usage of too high shell coverage against this Cincinnati Bengals team when they played them earlier this year and had a lot of success in doing that. I hope and expect that the Baltimore Ravens will do the same, jack up their rate of too high shell coverage and slow down Joe Burrow a little bit. And so I'm excited to see the chess game, no cheating in this game, but like the chess game between <laughs> the, these QBs, very talented and these defensive coordinators. I think it's going to be a, a, a great game to watch from that perspective on Sunday night. Yeah. Thank God we got something to look forward to for Sunday night. Part of what you just mentioned reminded me. So, uh, you know, we can't, invest too heavily in what happened last season. Def different um, defensive coordinator in Baltimore now. Martindale, so blitz-heavy, and Joe Burrow just loved the blitz last season. He was either yep. first or second in the NFL against the blitz. And the other thing that that's worth noting is, you know, the Ravens secondary. Now they continue to go through twists and turns, even in the, through the, the uh, short journey thus far this season. But Marlon Humphreys, and Marcus Peters, I think, are both healthy for this game. So that that creates, you know, some opportunity for the Ravens to match up in a way they were not able to last season at all. I mean, that's uh, they, that second game. The se they played week 16. It was like two days after Christmas. 
the Ravens tried to go to two high shell coverage. They played a lot more cover too because their whole secondary was wiped out with injury. Like literally they had nobody left. They they shifted to the two high shell coverage the week before that because they couldn't play any other coverage scheme. Like they, as you said, Wink Martindale loved to blitz, play man behind that. They couldn't do that because they did not have the secondary. Everybody was injured. So yeah, the Bengals got them that first game. And yeah, the Ravens secondary is completely destroyed that second game. Trust me, Baltimore has been seething. John Harbaugh has been seething over that game, that that season against the Bengals now for a while. And now you've got the Ravens at home in prime time able to extract revenge here with a healthier secondary. I just want to see how it looks, right? Because that that was so shocking the way that the Bengals put up those points on the Ravens last year. And I just want to see what the Ravens answer is here, right? It's like you're coming out in like, you know, the the third round of a of a of a heavyweight bout and the first two rounds, like the underdog really took the favorite to to, to school. Uh and we'll see like what this favorite is made out of. The Ravens are favored by three, three and a half points right now. Uh, They always used to run this division. Uh, The Bengals were kind of like the redheaded stepchild, no pun intended, especially when Andy Dalton was there. The rifle. And (laughs) the red rifle. And uh, so I'm just excited to see what happens here. Okay. So we don't really have a perspective. I mean, is there any um, benefit? There are plenty of threes out there. That feels like a fair number. It feels like kind of a, a sharp number. I look at the total. I consider the total for a minute is anything 47 and a half just because of how prolific we've seen both of these offenses. But I don't really want to mess with the total either. The Bengals haven't given up 20 more than 20 points to anybody this whole season. And especially what you just described, what you ran through in terms of their second half adjustments, like unless Baltimore goes out and scores, you know, 24 points in the first half, I don't I don't really want to mess with the the, the total either. Um, and it's again, right in a place where it feels uncomfortable. I don't want to bet the under on 47 and a half with these teams. So I, I, this might be a game there. I just sit back and, and, and enjoy it. I mean, I, I don't, I you don't know feel like that as value. well as I do there. You're not going to end up doing that. You, <laughs> I, I, I get you're, you're putting on the sharp cap right now for a second, but you know, as well as I do, it's so, just tight. There's no obvious side. I, that's all. I, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not arguing with you. Like I did. Yeah. I completely agree with you from that perspective. <laughs> what I will say is this, when you're looking at, um, this game, the right way to bet this game, in my opinion is as I said before, if yeah. you like the Ravens, it's first half. If you like the Bengals, it's full game or second half. If you like the total, I would be looking first half over if you wanted to bet this thing as opposed to full game over simply because of those adjustments in the second half. I personally made this total kind of close to where it is now, but there's a lot of 48s on the board. And I will admit, like I did take a little dabble uh, on the under here because I am expecting and predicting that these defense coordinators are going to take a lot of pride in how they try to game plan for their opponents and also keep track of Rashard Bateman. If Rashard Bateman is out for the Ravens, that is a big time blow because he is like the only perimeter threat that this team really has. Like Devin Duvernay is, is, is a is a role player. He he's talented a little bit, but like he's nowhere near what Rashard Bateman brings to this offense. And if they're down Bateman, it makes it a lot easier to defend this offense. In in my opinion, for uh, the Cincinnati Bengals defense. Yeah, well, uh, it'll be fun. I'm glad to have it Sunday night. Um, yeah, 
only other real game of of consequence uh, to me, and you know, some of this has to do with you know the way that the Rams just lost to the 49ers. It's Dallas going into LA. Dallas is getting five and a half points. The total there is 43 and a half. We're calling this the Jerry Jones Cialis game. He he they they to their credit, like I really hate giving Dallas credit for anything, but what they've done in very short order and in, in basically a season and a half in revamping the defense and bringing in Dan Quinn and let, letting Dan Quinn, you know, s- scheme up. Now they, they hit a home run with Parsons. And so, you know, congratulations on drafting well and, and having what looks like a, a, a generational talent, you know, knock on wood, you want them always to be healthy, but they're competitive uh, up front and in the secondary. And I watched it, um, you know, to my own satisfaction because I won money and I had the, it was a perfect emotional hedge going against the Seawards last week because if they beat Dallas then that would have been wonderful uh but that game was really out of the question within within the first you know the first quarter uh just like you know the, the way that the 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 Seawards now lead the league in in sacks well here's the trouble with the Rams they're second in in, in sacks they've given up 16 sacks so far this season and Matthew Stafford leads the NFL in interceptions i mean the Rams offense and the Washington Seawards offense, not that dissimilar, both in the bottom five in a lot of uh, analytic categories. And I think, you know, this is a, a, a spot for the Rams where I'm not prepared to lay anything more than a normal kind of uh, um, uh, home field advantage. And, uh, you know, we, we've all been skeptical about the Rams having home field advantage in the first place. I don't really understand the extra points for Dallas except for the skepticism around Cooper Rush. Can he keep doing this? Is it, is it, I mean, I, the, the Dallas is trying to be coy. Oh, Dak might play. I don't believe it for a second. I think it's going to be Cooper Rush. I think that they're plenty satisfied with um, what they've gotten out of him with good reason. Um, but I just feel like there's some extra points in this, in this spread for Dallas. I really believe in their defense. Uh, and I think it's, it's a defense that is absolutely on par with San Francisco and they have a great game plan to just look at um, what San Francisco did to the Rams uh, and, and and replicate it with talent that's equal to to San Francisco talent in, in my humble opinion. Really? So, so you like Cooper rush, like you, you think he's the real deal, just game manager. He's just not throwing the game away. He's not costing his team points. He's not leaving points on, on the field. So in that respect, I, I think he's, he's credible. I don't, he's not incredible, but he's 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 credible, uh, and we've seen him on the road on Monday night um, up at, at, at uh, the, the Meadowlands, you know, whatever they call Giant Stadium, MetLife. Um, and I don't think that going to Los Angeles is a, a more uh, a formidable challenge than going up to to New York on Monday night. New York is that's a divisional r- rival right there. So I, I mean, again, most of of where I'm coming from on this is my skepticism with the Rams' offense. Which has just been yeah. putrid. No, I can't. I can't argue that. Look, I will say this to your point. You know, there's going to be. That's almost going to be like a Dallas home game. I'm not going to say it is, but like Oxnard, Cali- Oxnard, California, which is where they practice for their training camps. That's like 45 minutes away from LA, I believe. I mean, it, maybe it's an hour. I don't know, but it's it's very close. And there's a lot of fans that are out there. And we've seen, you know, the San Francisco 49ers come out 
and sort of semi take over the Rams house. And with the way that the Rams are playing right now, um, I would expect that there to be a lot of Cowboys fans are getting tickets uh, from California for this game. And there's going to be a lot of Cowboys fans in that stadium. Um, I'll just say this, like you said that uh, he's credible, but he's not incredible. Um, they're hiding him. Like they're trying not to throw the football. Uh, they just 33 of his pat 33% of his pass attempts have come on first down. That's the fourth lowest rate in the NFL. Um, the fourth highest rate in the NFL is that 44% of his non-first down of his passes have come on non-first downs needing seven plus yards to go. So like they're passing when they need to pass. And if they don't need to pass, they are trying not to pass with, with, with him. They don't have the confidence in Cooper Rush right now to do much of anything. You mentioned that game up in New York. I mean, they scored six points in the first half, like two field goals. That's all yeah. they did against this Giants team. This is just a Dallas Cowboys team that is not scoring very many points. I mean, like, and 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 I know what we could we could say, like, this is where I'm just thinking like things have jumped the shark a little bit. Like Cooper Rush vastly exceeded my expectations. I thought he was going to come in and obviously be a disaster, like a lot of other people probably expected him to be. And he's exceeded my expectations. But let's pump the brakes a little bit on saying that this guy is some type of talent that's, in my opinion, is going to take over this team from Dak Prescott and is more talented and is a better overall quarterback than Dak Prescott. 63% of Dallas's scoring plays have been field goals. That's the highest rate in the league. This team is not scoring touchdowns with Cooper Rush. They're not an efficient football team down there. They're just, they're, they're still, I thought it would regress by now, but they're living on what this defense is able to generate. And like, just enough offense to skate by in these games. I mean, that game last week against the Seawards, they were up 15 to 10 in the fourth quarter yeah. of like, uh, against a terrible Washington team at home. They're up 15 to 10 and they need to score 10 unanswered points. They, uh, against the Giants, you know, I, I think that game, they might've been trailing in the third quarter. Like this is just not that great of a team. And the only thing that Cooper Rush really did to like, really make a mark was that first quarter against the Cincinnati Bengals where he drives them down for two touchdowns and they're up 14 to three at the end of the first quarter against the Bengals. From that point on, they kicked two field goals the whole rest of that game and they won that game by three points. Um, and that as more tape comes out on what they are doing with Cooper Rush and as defenses can figure out and better understand how they're trying to hide him when they do use him, how are they getting him to throw the football? Where is he targeting? What are the, the defenses are going to start picking up on this. Like you can quarterbacks that lack upside in talent, arm talent, et cetera, defense coordinators end up figuring these guys out in some respect. In the next two games, the Cowboys have the Rams and the Philadelphia Eagles. And those defenses and those defense coordinators understand well enough that I think they're going to be able to limit what Cooper Rush brings to the table here um, a little bit. The curiosity for me in this game, I like to talk about coaching and strategies and shit like that. So pardon me for going on a dive here into what I'm wondering what the Rams are going to do here offensively. But you have a, a team, as you greatly pointed out, that cannot pass block whatsoever. They're down to like their third string center, I believe. Yeah. They can't protect Matthew Stafford. He was absolutely destroyed in their last game. 
And you got a defense in the Dallas Cowboys that's number five versus the pass and number 25 versus the run. Dallas ranks number one versus explosive passing and number 32 versus explosive rushing. There's no reason here. And as you know, I'm an advocate of passing the football in general because a pass play on average is more efficient and gives you closer to the end zone than an average run play does. But in this situation, I would lean into the fact that the matchup here favors your run game over your pass game. And I know your run game hasn't been that great because the O-line stinks, but Matthew Stafford, you're throwing him to the wolves if you're asking this guy to drop back 40-plus times against this defense, in my opinion. Like, he might end up injured in this game, and he's already dealing with that elbow issue. But, like, after taking seven sacks and a number more hits, and now on a short week, yeah. against this pass rush, like you better come out and try to run the football a little bit more here. You better lean a little bit more into that because that is the weakness of this Dallas Cowboys defense. Um, I I don't know. I This line is, is pretty well set. It's odd that it's hanging in this dead man zone of like five, five and a half, four and a half. Like these numbers aren't all that valuable at this, at these spots here. And it's not really taken enough Cowboys money to drop it down to four, but it's not really taking enough Rams money to push it up to six. So I think it's set really well right now. And I'm just excited to see where it moves from from here. But the under has taken a lot of sharp money earlier in the week, the full game, the first half, et cetera. And what what was that? What did it open at? 46, 45. Yeah, it's down so to 43. Missed. There's some 40. There's a couple 43 and a half. 43 is a key number in totals. You can also find still 21s in the first half. Um, so the 43 so, and a half is going to be where I fire on this. I am going to play this game uh, and it's going to be an under on, on 43 and a half because you just made a really uh, great point about that Cooper Rush situation and the ability of these defensive coordinators to have enough tape now to, to be able to to scheme. I mean, I, I you know, I really hate, I, I keep saying this, giving Dallas credit, but they have in each of those instances against Cincinnati and Washington and the Giants, I think come up with 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 a kind of coaching edge. And it is the part part of why I'm in a favorable frame of mind with Dallas. It fits my as I'm an NFC East guy. I've lived with the NFC East since I was, you know, a, a youth, uh, since I was six years old and started watching football this is a classic nfc east kind of of style of of football to the way it fits my eye so that's why you know i'm i'm clearly i want everybody to understand my bias here that it's <laughs> it, it it favors this kind of defensive oriented uh, uh ball field position you know take points where you can get them kind of a uh, approach yeah and the one thing i will add is like just one note like this is not going to be like i was on the under in that 49ers game against the rams like i i i love the under there and that was a strong play and obviously that one won um this is not going to be the same type of performance dallas is not necessarily the same type of defense just cuz they have a good pass rush as the 49ers are the 49ers are so accustomed to playing Sean McVay's offense the 49ers are so good at slowing that down um it helps that the o line is so beaten up that the cowboys can take advantage of it but there is a chance for a couple more bigger plays here on both sides of the ball to cause the total to have a little bit more consternation and and and, and concern but in general i think that is the way to look for sure
This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. If you're busy like me and you're trying to catch your kids' games, it's important to have somewhere where you can go to find a good hotel. We're all over the place. Sometimes, you know, we're in Florida, we'll be in New York, we want to take the wife on a quick vacation and get away. Whether you're looking for a relaxing getaway or heading out of town to see the playoffs, Hotels.com app has a perfect hotel for every trip. Compare up to five hotels side by side so you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings without having to switch back and forth between options. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today. This episode is brought to you by Empower. You got money questions like, can I retire early? What are my best savings options? Can I afford to pay for my kid's education? Luckily, Empower has all the answers. With Empower's real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you get clarity on your real-life financial goals. So join 18 million Americans and Empower What's Next. Start today at Empower.com. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Sponsored by Empower, not an endorsement or a statement of satisfaction by a client. This episode is brought to you by Lululemon. Guys, if you're ready for a new pair of pants, try one of Lululemon's ABC pants. They're made to make you look and feel good. And there's lots of different styles to choose from. My favorite, because I walk around LA every day, I like the joggers. I'm not jogging, I'm just walking fast. But if you're working out, I would try them out. And if you want something a little sleek, maybe business-like, maybe try the ABC slim fit trouser, but I am a joggers guy. I just, once COVID happened, I was just like, I'm, I want to wear jogging pants and joggers and all kinds of soft pants as much as I possibly can, especially when I'm working out. Ultra comfortable and versatile. ABC pants are really in a league of their own. Buy a pair right now at lululemon.com. I want to move to the Urban Meyer horny dog game of the week. And I set this one up and then, you know, had some opportunity to keep going into the research. And now I'm not so sure that, that, uh, I'm, I'm convinced on the, the outcome for the dog. This dog has become very popular. It's Seattle going into new Orleans. New Orleans is favored by five and a half. The total is 46 and a, and a half part of the early, um, indication from the research was you want to go against a team that's come back from London, that the teams that have to go over to the UK when they come back because of what, what that travel requires and how out of rhythm that whole situation, you know, what that creates for the team in its ability to prepare is an opportunity. But for uh, Seattle, they went from Seattle to Detroit and then back home. And now they're going to go from Seattle to New Orleans and it's a one o'clock game at New Orleans. So that feels like something of a wash to me. I'm not prepared to say there's a big advantage on Seattle's behalf because of the travel situation for the saints. We still don't really know. I don't think have they, have the saints announced what's happening with Jameis? Is he going to play or not play? I'm leaning to not, but I still don't know yet. And, 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 you know, uh, Dalton, Looked very good last week uh, in London uh, against Minnesota. A bunch of his um, stats looked really good. Uh, Kamara seems set to play. I don't know about uh, Michael Thomas, um, but there is this uh, effect of of the Seahawks now because of that otherworldly offensive performance that they rolled up against Detroit. They thrust themselves into the top five of all of your advanced uh, offensive metrics. All, all those analytics now have Seattle way high up there because of how efficient they were. They scored at will against that that awful uh, Detroit 
defense. And, you know, Geno Smith really has been a revelation. You mentioned it at the top of the show that when we were comparing him to Russ, he really fits what, what Seattle wants to do. Um, I, I feel less comfortable now playing Seattle as, as the sexy underdog here. There's a bunch of good um, underdog angles here. Geno Smith as an underdog is really good against the spread. Over his career, Pete Carroll as an underdog has been really good. Dennis Allen, by contradistinction, has been bad as a favorite. And we don't know whether or not uh, Jameis is going to play. But if the travel situation is a wash and... You know, you you have to develop a perspective on whether or not the version of the Seahawks offense that we saw against Detroit is truly their identity and, and character, or whether um, you know the, the the Saints defense that we're still waiting to really get revved up in terms of pass rush um, is going to be because they they played a pretty good game, I thought, the defense uh, in 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 London against Minnesota, um, but but uh, you know it's two teams in two different directions, so. I'm a little less convinced about Seattle as an underdog here. Yeah, I, I, could, I could see why that would be the case. Um, one of the things that should give you a little bit of hope, oh, and by the way, Kyle Pitts was just ruled out against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Um, a little bit of surprise. But um, one of the things that should be interesting to you is just the Saints defense. Like we we talked, I think a lot of us, myself included, have talked about the Saints defense not getting pressure and not playing the same way that they have in the past. And uh, I think we all remember just how great they are against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And so anytime we talk about the Saints, we talk about the fact that, oh, this team has just got this great, great defense. Um, they're not playing well right now. They're yeah. just not playing well right now. Um, and it's on at both levels. They, they can't get pressure. They still continue to rank dead last in the NFL. On early downs in the first three quarters this year, they're getting pressure at just 18% of opposing QB dropbacks. That's dead last in the NFL. And then in terms of trying to stop the run, they're allowing 1.9 yards before contact per rush attempt on early downs, which ranks 25th in the NFL. So this is just a team that is playing. Their, their overall statistics are okay defensively. But when you look at them, in detail, and you look at what they're doing against the run back, running backs, and then you look at how much pressure they're getting. Like that defensive line is just not, it's just not getting there. And Geno Smith, as we mentioned before, is throwing the ball in rhythm really well and having a lot of success there. And if they're not getting pressure and he's clean and he's getting the ball out on time where it needs to go, I mean, we know that the Saint Seahawks have the weapons, like at receiver, to have some success here. And Geno is doing a great job of like spreading the ball around. He threw a ton of passes last week and like Tyler Lockett only had like six or seven catches. I mean, like he wasn't just funneling it to his number one guy. He's spreading it everywhere within this offense. Um, on the other side of the ball, I guess the only thing that you could say here, if it is going to be Andy Dalton, which I kind of think that it, that it should be like, I kind of think that, um, Jameis, I just looked up the injury report. Did not practice Wednesday. Did not practice Thursday. You you get you can't put him out there if he like had all this issue with his back and broken vertebrae or whatever was going. I don't even know the details of his back right. issue, and maybe they haven't been fully transparent about what that even has been. But I don't think you can put him back out there. Uh, and I think Andy Dalton performed extremely well in reserve 
and had some success throwing the football, targeting who he needed to, uh, pushing the ball down the field when he needed to. He's not going to throw the prayer balls up deep as much as Jameis did, but I don't know that you need to do that against this defense. I mean, this Seahawks defense is terrible. Listen to this. Like, I think Andy's going to get a ton of support from his run game here. And the reason why is quite simple. This Seahawks run defense, okay, think about this. The average yards before contact that a defense allows to opposing running backs is 1.3 yards before contact, okay? The second worst team in the league is at two yards before contact. So from 1.3 average to two. The Seahawks are at three yards before contact. I mean, they're not even close to the number two team and the number two team is at two yards and the league average is at 1.3. On average, running backs are gaining like 4.6 yards per carry. They're allowing three yards before they even touch the guys on average. It's a terrible, terrible run defense. I think they're going to get support from the ground game. There is a reason for me, at least, that this total has now sitting at 46 points. You know, up, yeah. up, up from earlier in the week at 43 and a half points, which is where I bet it towards the over. Uh, we got down on it. We shipped it out. And now it's up to 46. I just think both of these teams are going to have success. And I know you can look at this Saints team and say, I've been impressed by this offense. They can't score. They're down Michael Thomas, all this type of stuff. Just, just focus on two things. Number one, the Seahawks defense is terrible. Number two, the Saints, like they meet their level. Like they meet their level based on the defense. Like water meets its level. Yes. When the Seahawks, when the Saints play a top 12 defense, like they did against the Bucs, like they did against the Panthers, they're not topping 14 points. Like they're, they're a low scoring team. When they're playing the Falcons, which ranks number 22 defensively, or they're playing the Vikings, which ranks 26th defensively. They're scoring 27 and 25 points. So against like defenses in the mid-20s, they're putting up mid-20 points. Against defenses that are top 12, they're putting up about 12 points. So what are they going to do against the worst defense in the league that ranks 32nd? Like they might be pushing 30 points themselves in this game. And I really do think that that could be the case here against a defense as bad as Seattle's. Yeah, I kind of like it. I think I'm prepared to lay the points <laughs> with with the Saints. I, I I came in thinking that I I wanted to jump on that sexy Seahawks bandwagon, but but now I'm off of it, and I, I need to be off of it because I had Seattle as as you know one of the uh, in in the running for worst record in the NFL, and I had them. I bet they're under on their win total and all kinds of stuff. So they need to start losing some games, or I'm gonna lose that that bet. Uh, a bet that I hope to win this week, Sharpie. This is what what uh, I have on my card circled as my favorite play of the week. Um, this is a very square position. I'm announcing it right off the top. I'm taking okay. uh, the the Eagles. I'm laying the five and a half points going into. Arizona. The total is 48 and a half. The Eagles to me have looked like, you know, the most complete team on both sides of the football. They've been confronted with a, a decent variety of offensive challenges and that defense has met those challenges. The question mark for me with the Eagles this season was how uh, dynamic is their defense going to be? Can Jonathan Gannon um, protect the middle of, of the field? They, they, what they're doing in terms of pressure is answering that that question for me. Now I know that it was wet uh, in Philadelphia last weekend, and that was a big part of why Trevor Lawrence put the ball on the on the floor 
so many times, but it doesn't matter. He, he did it, and they, and they were all over him the whole game, and they recovered the, the fumbles, and they took a game that I thought was going to be uh, closer, and they just owned it. They owned the game. Um, I don't like that Arizona is 0-7 against the spread and straight up in their last seven home games. Um, I don't like that they, they that Arizona, notwithstanding what we saw from them against Carolina last week, which, you know, I, that was what my favorite play of the week was the, the Cardinals getting points against Baker Mayfield and Matt Rule. Uh, thank you, guys. Um, but now, you know, I think this this uh, Eagles offense um, is is just too much for what the Cardinals have. They're 28th in EPA on defense, uh, 32nd in success rate on dropbacks. Um, they, they're allowing explosive runs. They're allowing explosive passes. And that's all sets up um, in, in a bad way for them against the Eagles, uh, who I, you know, are, are very capable of explosive plays from a lot of different, um, angles. And, you know, as long as DeAndre Hopkins is, is out, Kyler just can't go down the field there. I think he's, he's, uh, is he last in air yards at the, this point of the season? He's, he's, yes. he's in the bottom five. I'm pretty last. sure he is. Yes. Yeah. So, uh, I'm just going to go ahead um, play a favorite, uh, player of it's, it's in no man's land at five and a half, but you know, Eagles by six is a winner for me. And that's how I'm going with bet the house this week. Okay. I, I can't fault you for that. I will say it's obviously pretty public. I will also yep. say that before the season started this line, crazily enough, it might sound shocking to some people, but this is just how far the Eagles have moved up. G- take a guess as to what you think that this line was in the summertime. It was probably Arizona favored with the home field advantage yep. kind of number, right? Like, yeah, you're right. Minus two. The uh, Eagles yep. were two point underdogs. It shifted all the way around. Now they're laying six points here on the road. Um, just like we've talked about um, with regard to the way that the Bengals Ravens game set up. My opinion, if you're betting this one and you like the Eagles, you should take them in the first half. Uh, just because. The Arizona Cardinals start off very slowly. They have yet to score a single point in the first quarter. Eventually, this trend as well is going to jump the shark, and at some point, it's going to come back to bite you. But uh, they haven't scored. They're not efficient early. And the Seahawks, sorry, the Eagles, just take the second half off because they've been up on teams and they've been more productive in the first half. Uh, One of two, Two things here on this game for me. The first one is this massive regression, which I expected before the season started with regard to third downs for the Arizona Cardinals. This team was number one in third down conversion rate over expectation based upon the yards to go on average that they had last season. This year, they are dead last in the NFL. They're the number 32 team in third down conversion rate over expected. And they've played the 11th easiest schedule of opposing third down defenses. They are facing a league average yards to go on third down, but they're just converting 22% of their third downs. And it's a big reason why this team in the first half has the number one fewest points scored per drive, number three most punts per drive, and number three fewest scoring drives in the NFL this season. Um, it's been it's been terrible. They were terrible out in Carolina before Jeremy Chin went down and then they got things back on track. And the other thing that I'll mention here is like Cliff Kingsbury, right? Like he won 11 games last year, but none of us really think he's that great of a coach. Right. And I I just don't know. Something's going on there. He, 
when he plays at home, okay, Arizona used to be this difficult place to go to. It's kind of out there and, and the flight is long from the East Coast and there's not much around there. You're not all the way on the West Coast and, and, and there's heat and teams used to stink out in Arizona. Arizona used to have a very good home field advantage. Obviously, the games used to be played outside and now they're in the dome and it's just, it used to be a, 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 a different edge there. Even when they were in that dome, they built that stadium out there and, and they still had a good home field advantage. Since Cliff Kingsbury took over in 2019, the Cardinals are 9 and 17 ATS, 35%. Since 2021, they rank dead last in cover rate at 20%. This is the worst home team in the NFL. From 2013 to 2017, they covered at a 54% clip. That was 10th best in the NFL. So, like, put Cliff at home. He's got whatever distractions going on in the nightlife, in his, in his outside world. Kyler's got his video games. Like, I don't know what is going on when they play in Arizona, but it's not good. It's not good for them, and it's good for you and your bet on the Philadelphia Eagles. I love it when you sweet talk me this way, Warren Sharp. This this <laughs> is really makes me feel feel good uh, about the situation. Uh, we we hit on a couple of things that you like this week. You mentioned the total in the Seattle uh, Saints game. You, you mentioned uh, you know particularly the strong play on the Eagles first half in this game. We just went through the Ravens in the first half. Is there anything that we haven't touched on yet that you have you know you're pulling together on your card? Uh. I mean, those are some of the strongest things. There's, there's obviously some other things that I've played this week, but um, I mean, you, you fortunately for the listeners here touched on a number of games that I've already taken. So I was able to give my opinion as well as the way that I've played some of those games. If people want to tail along and, and and join in, but I mean, I think you could still get the Eagles first half. It's just becoming a, in, in my opinion, a pretty square, squarish bet, the more people that jump on it. And, and so that game does concern me a little bit from that respect. Uh, but I do have some of my own money on that one as well. Um, so no, I think, I think, I think you covered it pretty, pretty, pretty good. Okay. Well, good. Uh, speaking of pretty, pretty, pretty good. I don't have a ton of exotics this week because of, uh, of the slate. Like I don't really want to mess with Pittsburgh getting all those points up in, in in Buffalo. I don't really want to mess with that game. The Buccaneers, when they were favored by eight and a half, I liked them eight, eight and a half against Atlanta. Now it's up to 10. Uh, I don't really want to mess with that. Um, don't want to go against Tom Brady with fire shooting out of his eyes and divorce lawyers in his back pocket. Not, not interested in, in jumping in to that mess. I, it, and the teaser card really was not very juicy. I have one sensible teaser for sensible People that th- this week, it's teasing Green Bay from eight down to two and teasing the Browns from two and a half up to eight and a half. And, and that's just it. It's just a regular two legger. I'm not going to go uh, nuts um, between those those two legs. The, the Browns at home against the Chargers, Green Bay with 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 the Giants. Which one do you think is more likely to be a problem for me? I like them both. Um, I was a little oh, concerned good. about that. I was a little, I thought it was a pretty good teaser card, but not from a traditional long tweet teaser okay. this week because you weren't moving some of the sevens down through. 
But yeah. like I, I think the Jaguars make for a compelling leg. I think last week's game in the rain with all the problems that were going on there in Philadelphia made this team look a lot worse. As long as Doug Peterson has this team refocused and does so quickly, um, they are they are better than the Houston Texans. Sure. And they should be able to win that game. And that's all you need them to do if you tease down the Jacksonville Jaguars. And I think that uh, they should be able to bounce back from that game. They're a very good team on both sides of the football and are better than a lot of people think, especially if they're taking too much out of the game last week. Uh, look, the Packers, my biggest concern for the Packers is Saquon Barkley and the run game of the yeah. New York Giants. Like, but But that really is all the Green Bay Packers have to worry about, right? Like you, you defensively, you've got your strengths and your weaknesses, but when you know that like the only real threat that you've got is this running back, if you lose that game because you couldn't contain him, shame on you. You know, like uh, if you right. let Saquon run wild over in London and you end up losing this game because of that, like this defensive coordinator needs to reconsider what he's doing in, in life because that easily could be like the primary focus of what this defense looks to try to stop. Uh, I like that the, the, you know, the Giants are three and one. They've played above their heads. They are a team that I think is, is, is doing well against some questionable competition, but the Packers should be able to handle their business here. Uh, with regard to your Browns leg, that's a fun game. That's an exciting game. Last year, that game was what, like 48 to 45 yes, or something yes, like that? Yes. Out in LA. Um, I love the fact that the Browns should be able to run and run often here. I mean, we expected this Chargers defense to figure out what was going on with their run defense and to plug it up. And they went out there and they got the players that we thought were going to plug it up and they still can't stop the run. They still are having problems stopping the run. And now you're going up against Nick Chubb. And and Kareem Hunt, like I think that the Browns are going to have a lot of success running the football here. Uh, Jacoby Brissett passing it underneath. This is this is all about how Kevin Stefanski calls this game. I do think that they have the edge there in their play calling philosophy over what the LA Chargers bring to the table. Um, but anytime you play against a quarterback like Justin Herbert, you you know like there's the potential for him to come out guns blazing. And I don't think Jacoby Brissett has the skill set to like engage in a bang for bang like uh right. battle like like Baker with all the weapons that they had at the receiver position at the time was able to do last year in the dome but I think the ground game's going to be good enough here for the Browns for them to keep this game to one score so I can't fault you for that one either I like it then you you're now making me you call to my attention do you think there's any um uh, value in the total of that Browns Chargers game. I just reminded, I know it's different personnel, but with Garrett out and with Bosa out, you know, 47 and a half, I see that number on FanDuel right now. Is that is that a potential overplay for us? Well, so Garrett is back now. Oh, he is back. Okay. He went Garrett from is back. Okay. Clowney is still a question mark, but Garrett is back. Bosa is out. The problem with the Chargers is that they lost key contributors at multiple levels of their defense. Yeah. So, Definitely an issue there. Uh, I don't really have a lean at this moment on the total. I do think, however, longest rush attempt for Nick Chubb over 18 and a half. That's a winner. 
That's a winner. We're going to play that one. And you just talked me into getting a little more exotic because now I have to put the Jags in a card. And I also now have a four-legger. Tell me why the Chiefs can't win by one and a half at home against the Raiders on on uh, Monday night. Yeah, again, that's 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 not your typical Wong teaser. And a lot of money is going to be tied up into that game because it's seven points. They just need to win the game on Monday night. But yeah, um, the Raiders had a great spot against the Denver Broncos last week. And I liked the Raiders in that game. I expected the Raiders to come out and perform well enough on both sides of the football to slow down Russell Wilson. And now it looks like, you know, a a, a paper towel can slow down, wet paper towel can (laughs) slow down Russell Wilson in this Broncos offense. But um, I think you're in for a different battle here. The only question mark in that game house is, Totally different defense coordinator. So they're running a different defensive scheme than what they were getting gashed by with Patrick Mahomes before. But I think Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes with extra time to prepare for this game absolutely should be able to handle business here uh, and and take one step closer to trying to secure home field advantage for them. Well, while we are in this exotic territory, let's go ahead and jump into the land where we try and turn one beer into hundreds of beers, my friends. The same game, Parlay Plus, sponsored by our good pals at FanDuel. And here's one way you might consider it. I think the boys went 0 for 6 with their legs last week. This upcoming week, we're looking at the 1 o'clock slate, and it'll be uh, J.J. John Stremski, uh, Rahina Dream, Palmer, and our guy also Gale, building out legs for a same game parlay, five legs, six legs, keep an eye on it. We're looking for max bang for our buck, max beer for our buck. Let's be honest about it, because don't you dare bet anything more than a beer. The boys were 0 for 6 last week. So if you want to, one way you could do your own same game parlay, plus just fade the ringer. Fade our guys. This this thing is, is it's it's exotic. We're wanting to do something crazy. Go ahead and go against. Nobody's going to uh, 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 yell at you. These, 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 these totals come in, the, the parlay pays out an incredible number. We want everybody to have beer. So please try and cook up something, but the boys will have it out. It'll be out Sunday morning in our usual manner. And then please do what, do what you like with it. But if you, if you win some beers off of it, send me a note so we can see it and celebrate it together. Yeah, this has been a lot of fun. Uh, obviously, I appreciate everybody listening to us. The Ringer Gambling Show will be back on Sunday when Raheem shares his top five picks. And then again on Monday as JJ and Raheem preview the Raiders at the Chiefs. Monday Nighter, thanks to Joe House for joining me today. As always, thanks to Mike Wargren for producing this episode. Good luck to everybody this weekend. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. If you're busy like me and you're trying to catch your kids' games, it's important to have somewhere where you can go to find a good hotel. We're all over the place. Sometimes, you know, we're in Florida, we'll be in New York, we want to take the wife on a quick vacation and get away. Whether you're looking for a relaxing getaway or heading out of town to see the playoffs, Hotels.com app has a perfect hotel for every trip. Compare up to five hotels side by side so you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings without having to switch back and forth between options. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today. This episode is brought to you by Empower. You got money questions like, can I retire early? What are my best savings options? Can I afford to pay for my kid's education? Luckily, Empower has all the answers. 
With the Power's real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you get clarity on your real-life financial goals. So join 18 million Americans and Empower What's Next. Start today at Empower.com. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Sponsored by Empower, not an endorsement or a statement of satisfaction by a client. 